0: Welcome to Breakpoint Podcast, breaking down the world of tennis with your hosts, Val Febbo and Joel Frucci.
1: As the clay court season is well and truly upon us with Monte Carlo kicking off this week, we must reflect on the hard court season that was to kickstart 2022. And reflecting on the hard court season means talking about the one and the only Carlos Alcaraz, and his immediate rise into the stratosphere on the ATP Tour. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Verbo, and joining me, as he always does, uh, he's recovered from a bout of COVID. He's looking fit. He's looking firing. He's an absolute megastar. He is Joel Frucci. How are you?
0: Oh, good. Thanks, mate. You flattered me. I'm not sure what's, uh, what's spicier. Yeah, the uh, the, the COVID or, um, that's, uh, that intro from you, but um, yeah, no, look, well, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm on the men though. Um, it's, it's weird. It kind of lingers around a little bit, um, does the old COVID, but, uh, yeah, feeling good. And, um, yeah, well, I mean, really we're all feeling good because, uh, we've been watching a month or so, a little bit more of, uh, of tennis involving a certain young star who has, uh, quietly just been absolutely smashing it. And, um, well, I mean, normally when you when you look at these young players, male or female, they kind of build up year by year, right? Mm. Some of them, if they're lucky, maybe month by month, or you know, maybe a, a couple of months um, in sort of segments. But geez, Carlos Alcaraz, oh my god, uh, he is just oh, what a what a meteoric rise, unbelievable.
1: There are no words to describe how good he is, unbelievable. <laughs> Except Rafa voice, unbel- unbelievable. but And now I, I, I said this to Brett Phillips, our good friend on the show, and he went with it on the first serve. I didn't think it would get that far, but I think the message was to a group chat, I don't care who knows this, but Carlos Alcaraz Tennis gives me arousals. And <laughs> I don't care who knows it because it does. It is It is genuinely good and it is so wonderful to watch because – he manages, and, and Joel, he's got poise, he's got power, he's got feel, he's got the movement, he's got the mentality, he's got everything in the book, everything. He's he got does, the arms, yeah. he's got the veins on his arms, he's got, <laughs> the, the yeah. kid can just do it all. He can do it on clay, he can do it on hard. It doesn't matter. Grass is the only thing we haven't really seen a prolonged, uh, a prolonged stint with Carlos Alcaraz on. But yeah. he won Rio at a very similar age to what Rafael Nadal did, and then he's gone on and won Miami with the loss of just one set, and he didn't just lose a set; he belted pretty much everybody in his path. He was down five two against Stefano Bus. he wins the next seven games of the match. Then Mirjim Kecmanovic uh, pushes him. Um, he beat Seb Quarter pretty convincingly. Then he goes over the top of um, of Casper Ruud in the in the final. Everything he did in Miami was pure class. It was the same in Indian Wells because he pushed Rafa to three. And and I'm honestly not sure how Rafa, with a broken rib pretty much, beat him. Because he's Rafa. Yeah, well, that's true. Um, but I, I genuinely think, and we can say it now, um, this is – I'm going on record. This kid will win more than 10 majors and probably even make a Grand Slam final this year. I've got Alcaraz – top five by the end of the year. He'll have made a major final and he'll have won the ATP finals by the end of it. I just think the, the, the kid is just that good.
0: Yeah. Big call, mate. But you know what? It's not, uh, it's not completely far Um And it's just, it's crazy to think that this guy is still, still a teenager. Um, obviously moving into the clay season. Uh, you know, I think we could probably, um, you know, we've sort of given, uh, or we've had a bit of an inkling of what we can expect from, from him, um, you know, from Rio. Um, so, you know, you can really only expect his form to continue through the clay season, um, and you'd have to say he's a genuine chance um, of of winning Roland Garros. Uh, it'll be a it'll be a really uh, really fascinating test for Carlos um, when um, when Wimbledon and the grass season rolls around. I guess is, uh, as short lived as it as it is um, on a yearly basis, but nevertheless, it'll be great to see him test himself uh, on that surface when you know players in his kind of mould of. Um, you know, not not um, not failed to do well on, but haven't necessarily excelled on. If that makes any sense to the uh, to listeners out there, but some, um, you know, what I think is really really exciting about Carlos Alcaraz, and it's not necessarily about him as such, but um, it's just the fact that he's coming on at the perfect time, yeah, the perfect time. You know, we 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 think about so many players in, in bygone eras, especially the one just gone, like David Ferrer and Thomas Burditch, just to name a couple.
1: Joe Wilfridzonga retiring Joe this Wilfredson week as well. Yeah,
0: who's who's yeah, hanging up the racket um, after the French Open. Um, just so so much talent and guys that could easily have, have won a Grand Slam and probably would have if they weren't part of this era that we know has just had such a stronghold on it by... Roger Federer, Rafael Nadal, Novak Djokovic, to a lesser extent, Andy Murray and Stan Wawrinka. Um, Carlos is coming into things when those guys are beginning to age out. Like, okay, yes, Rafael Nadal is looking in some of the best form of his career, granted, and he's, you know, the guy seems to age like wine. Um, but I mean, really, everything's got to come to an end eventually, and you know, those guys aren't getting any younger. Um, you know, you sort of just just wonder how much longer they they do have left, and. Um, admittedly, if guys like Novak, um, to, a less, to a lesser extent, Rafa, have the, uh, I guess, the endurance that Roger Federer has had and they go to their, their early 40s, then, um, you know, that, that probably takes Carlos Watt to his sort of early to mid-20s. But that's, that's still really the, the peak of a player's career those years um, in, mm-hmm. in the mid-20s. So, um, and look, as good as the guys have been, you'd have to say that, um, you know, when, when do they start? sort of sliding a little bit um, you know like when does the body start to wear down and and Carlos is just coming into the peak of things and it's just the perfect time for him and yeah uh, you know, I, th- I think when we talk about Grand Slamsdale with, with him um, that's the reason why we can safely say that we think the way that he's going he can he can probably crack double digits because um, you know those guys won't be in his way it's right. uh, like the, the world is this is this guy's oyster it really is. <laughs>
1: And he loves playing on clay. We haven't had a, we've had, what we, what we saw in Rio was so dominant against quality opponents. And Matteo Berrettini beat him in five sets at the Australian open. And still, again, not sure how Matteo did it because Alcaraz came back with a, with a flurry of winners and a flurry of brutality. But all of a sudden he dispatches him in Rio and then dispatches Schwartzman does so well to get through to the semis at Indian Wells and And the mentality, I think, is why not me? doesn't matter if I play these guys. I'm confident that I can win. And we don't see that from enough players on tour. And he said, like, you know, I believe I can can win one. I can take it to the best players in the world. The guy is the world number 11 at the moment. And he's by far been the standout player of the year behind Rafael Nadal. It's been Rafael Nadal and and, and Berrettini that have beaten him. Nobody else has.
0: yeah, and, and I mean, like, we've spoken about his his physique already, Val, but, like, you look at the guy and I guarantee you if if we were to present an image of Carlos to, um, you know, like a non-tennis fan, like, just say, like, a casual tennis fan, they, you know, go to the Australian Open, like, you know, one day or two days or whatever every year, put up a photo of Carlos Alcaraz, you ask, how old is this guy? Do you reckon any of them would say he's a teenager? No. I would say no, like... The the guy is years ahead of of his age group, like just in terms of the way that he's built. And, um, you know, it's just, as we know, in sporting tennis, just having the right physique just can make so much difference. And he already has that. And that's a huge part of the reason he's where he is.
1: And we saw the next gen finals last year, Joel. We saw what he was able to produce. He belted everybody in his path. He's just, he's got the runs on the board early. He's a Masters 1000 champion at a younger age than Federer, Nadal and Djokovic it's scary and he's bigger <laughs> oh, than you me. Remember we used to say about Rafa and well, me and you probably didn't because we were very young at the time but um when Rafa came on and it was said that he's massive for an 18 year old well you look at the photos and the comparisons Carlos is bigger he's <laughs> he's the pipes on him are just they are astounding and it's just it's so impressive that um that he's been able to conjure up what he has and yeah, as we get into the clay court season, I, I can't see anybody beating him in Monte Carlo, and we will get to Monte Carlo later. But it's just... Now, the question for me is, has he gone past a lot of these other guys? Like, um, you know, Stefanos Tsitsipas, Alexander Zverev. I've got more confidence in Alcaraz winning a slam than those two at the moment. Because of the consistency and how he's put things together.
0: Yeah, I also think I also think that on that note there's a lot more pressure on Yzverev's city um, those kind of guys. Well like now the there sneaker.
1: is. Now there's a lot more. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, you, you, when you've got guys like Carlos coming through the ranks and, and they they're kind of in that as well. where, Yeah, yeah, exactly where they should be winning those slams, but they still have to compete with um novak rafa and i guess to a much lesser extent at the moment let's let's face it uh, roger federer that you know just just won't go away just yet anyway um and well you said it before i mean guys like like carlos and the younger guys at the moment the much younger guys are just playing with a bit of a sense of freedom like it's a bit of a it's almost a bit of a free hit for them so like yeah. I mean, there's really there's really no reason at the moment they they don't have to play in that way uh, I guess maybe there's a little bit more at stake for Carlos because he's got himself to 11 in the world um, and the stakes are probably a little bit higher. But, you know, still, um, <laughs> he's probably surprised himself even. So I think he would not? have.
1: But the, I think the, the thing is he's, he's now won a Masters 1000. And it just yeah. – this stuff, Zverev did it at a very young age in 2017 when he beat Djokovic in the Rome final and – um, and things look like they'd kick on for him. Medvedev did it at a fairly young age, but nobody's been able to do it in the way that Carlos Alcaraz has, and just the consistent performances and and just dispatching these these top players. And Casper Ruud had no answers in that final. He had absolutely no answers. And now you look at what the body of work that Alcaraz has been able to produce this year. Who's to say that at Roland Garros, Rafa's rib isn't great. Djokovic is a little bit underdone. Who's to say that Alcaraz can't just come out and win it? He's going to have protected seating. I have no doubt that he'll be in the top eight by the time Roland Garros rolls around. It's the end of next month. He's got time. He's he's got Monte Carlo, Barcelona if he plays it, and then Madrid and Rome. I'm sure he's playing Madrid. He's not going to miss that. So it it, it just makes sense.
0: Yeah, he absolutely could. I mean, there's really that's pretty much all you can say i mean there is no reason at all based on yeah. current form the way that he's going why he can't win and yeah, yeah i mean really like part of, it's part of a broader picture like it's just it's young talent time at the moment i mean igish viontek just crushed naomi osaka in the uh, in the miami final and like if you look at the the women's side of things like i mean you could almost say the same thing like now that now that um that ash is out of the picture and um Aegis found herself on top of the tree like, like the possibilities are endless for her as well um and she's already obviously won uh won a grand slam and there's no doubt that that um that she'll win more and like if, if you think about if you think about her if you think about Carlos if you think about all the other young players coming through at the moment it's a really great time for tennis
1: it is and i think the men the men's tennis bracket is going to look very similar to the women's i think for a few years now with a lot of different players being able to win them when the big when the big three eventually do go, but now you've got this front runner that looks as though he might be able to take the tennis world by storm. But talking about Igis Svitontek, she's just she's going from strength to strength. She's only twenty years old. Everybody forgets she plays with maturity, she plays with um, with determination, she plays with angles, and she is owning the WTA at the moment. Ash Barty had a big lead on tour. Sviontek's lead over Barbara Krejcikova as the new world number one is 1,800 points pretty much. She is miles ahead of the pack. She's just won the sunshine double. And Joel, let me take you through her tour-level finals. So in Lugano in 2019, that was her first. She lost it to Polona Herzog. Now that doesn't count. Let's get rid of that altogether. Because her next final was in October 2020 at the French Open. She defeated Sofia Kennan 6-4, 6-1. Then she played Adelaide against Belinda Bencic. This is a WTA 500. She won that 6-2, 6-2. Then she plays in Rome in uh, last year's WTA 1000 final against Karolina Pliskova. She wins 6-love, 6-love. Then we go to Qatar. She defeats in another WTA 1000 final this year. She defeats Conservate, 6-2, 6-love. Indian Wells this year. She belts, belts Sakari 6-4, 6-1. Then she comes up against four-time Grand Slam champion Naomi Osaka in the Miami final on her comeback trail. She kills her 6-4, 6-love. Unbelievable. Uh, sh- just unbelievable results. She can do no wrong at the moment. And it's, it's so wonderful to see someone just really... Get that consistency. She made her name on clay, and now she's becoming one of the more premier hardcore players. She's won the Sunshine Double, um, first player to do it since Serena, um, and I think the youngest player to do it ever as well. So it's just, just such a staggering, staggering um, turn of events here with Barty retiring. I don't think we, I think we expected someone to be in a big lead in the number one ranking at this time of the year, but nobody expected it to be Sviontek with the retirement of Ash.
0: Yeah. Um, well, I think it's more—it's yeah, more how far ahead I think I think she is. But uh, yeah, I've got, look, I've got to say, Val, I know it was only a sample size. But um, look, after seeing Ega win um, a very unique French Open, let's let's be honest, it was a very unique French Open. But um, after seeing her win that, I'm not surprised at all what she's been able to do, um, and just the, the fact that. The fact that she's carried it through that whole time has really, really impressed me. It's pro- it's what, a year and a half later. Um, and nothing's really changed with Eager, and that's that's a great thing. Like it's not really often that you can say that, but um, you know, just the head is still cool. Um you, you know, the the change-ups are still there in, in her game, the variety is still there. Um, and yeah, it's fantastic. I mean, she's a really likable character as well. That's one of the great things too. And um it, like the fact that she's 20, you just have to wonder how how much improvement there like still is and yeah. and how far she can she can go and yeah i'm I'm absolutely convinced that um, you know she'll she'll probably i'm not, I'm not sure look I'm not sure that she'll crack double figures because the WTA is so unpredictable um, certainly in the short term and even even more so in the longer term but uh look I, I think I think it's I think it's not far-fetched to say that at least five is is probably what Iga is is capable of. Um, definitely more, I would say.
1: She'd be the heavy favorite going into Roland Garros, anyway. I like sure. the way that she played at this year's Australian Open. She made the semi-finals and it took a stellar effort from Danielle Collins to beat her. So I, I think Iga Shviontek, um, what a wonderful custodian she is of tennis. And I think she's part of the new age of athletes that that I really love to watch because she travels with a psychologist. And it's yeah. so important, and we talked about this in 2020 when she won her major maiden Grand Slam title, but I just think it's so important for the younger players to really hone in on this sort of stuff because it is important. Mentality is so important. Mental health is of the utmost importance to everybody. And what she's doing has helped her immensely. And it's so impressive for someone at that age to notice what she needs or just listen to the advice and just and and take everything in her stride and yeah uh, she's been so 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 impressive and um, yeah it, it's so good to see someone so likable again as the world number one on on the WTA
0: yeah big time and it's a, look it's a nice little bat and pass um, in that sense um, between Ash and Ega well I guess in the in the sense that they're both really likable but also in the sense that they both. Um, you know, absolutely absolutely belonged there, um, you know, based on their tennis too.
1: Yep, 100%. And before we get to Monte Carlo on a break, Joel, um, we've got a couple of retirements this week. Now, one of them, I don't think you could really call a retirement because the comeback was – well, the the third – no, the second comeback was kind of never on. She played a couple of events here yeah. and there. But Kim Klysters is officially done. That's it. Cooked. Done. Tennis career over. Um, so big congratulations to her because – Again, even, the, even with the, the comeback, 12th in the all-time career earnings in prize money for, for women, four Grand Slam titles, one at the Australian Open, three at the US, and ma- uh, two major finals at the French and then the semis at Wimbledon. She won the WTA finals. Um, she won a couple of Grand Slam doubles, uh, doubles titles. Won the Fed Cup. She's done absolutely everything, and we love her over here in Australia. We call her Aussie Kim. And um, yeah, it, it's sad that the comeback never really took off in in the sense that she never really got to play too many grand. I don't think she played a Grand Slam at all in the comeback. But yeah, it's it's a it's a it's been a wonderful career. And um, yeah, we do we do wish her all the best. Oh, she did play one in 2020. She played the first round of the U.S. Open. Sorry, I did forget that. But. Um, Uh, Yeah, and unfortunately, the one that she did play had no crowds.
0: Yeah, I know it was all just part of the, well, I don't want to say the grand plan, but just the the weirdness of of this time, isn't it? But uh, yeah, Yeah. look, um, no, all we can, yeah, we got got to wish Kim well. Um, Been a tremendous servant to tennis, obviously, and uh, a real affinity with Australia too.
1: Yeah, hundred percent. So, big congratulations to Kim Clijsters on her career, and another one that made me really sad because it made me feel even though I'm only 26 it made me feel old Joe Wilfried songer retired and or he will yeah, retire he announced that he's he's going to retire um at the end of the French Open and it's really sad because this guy has been one of the draw cards for tennis and for men's tennis over the past 15 years and his first Grand Slam match I think we knew we saw we'd found something special when he took a 2018 first set tie break against Andy Roddick at the Australian Open. And then the next year, he storms through the entire field. And I've, now we had Rob Koenig on to talk about Delpo um, this year and what he's brought to tennis. And he mentioned that 2009 US Open semifinal. F- rewind back to the 2008 Australian Open semifinal. I don't think I've ever seen anybody do to Rafael Nadal what Joe Wilfried Songa did. He killed him. There was nothing <laughs> Rafa could do. He had no answers for Songa. The power, the precision, the feel, everything was on for Joe that night. And he really captured the hearts of Australians in that tournament. And it's a shame. It's unbelievable, actually, that Songa only ever made one Grand Slam final, isn't it?
0: Yeah, I know, and it's it's pretty sad. And look, it's uh yeah, it kind of comes back to what we were chatting about earlier. Um you know, just just a almost like a victim of circumstance really. Um was was Joe, I mean, just in the wrong era, right? Like <laughs> he's, he's come up against some of the best players we've ever seen and they all happen to just come together all all, all at once and um yeah, it's look, it's just unfortunate because you if you had a plonked in um, but if we, had a, if we had a young Joe right now, like and we were talking about him in the same way as Carlos Alcaraz, like we would probably be saying that, you know, this guy is destined for greatness. Um, yeah. And that's not to say that, that he, he didn't achieve like in his career. He absolutely did. It's just, unfortunately, he couldn't reach that pinnacle because of what was around him really.
1: Exactly. In 2008 Australian Open final, semis at the French in 13 and 15, semis at Wimbledon in 11 and 12, and um, the quarters at the US on three occasions, um, final of the ATP finals in 2011. And those French Open runs, I think, were the, would be the ones that, I guess, sting him the most because he had a real chance in 2015 yeah. when he played Stan Vavrinka in a French Open semifinal. Couldn't get the job done. Vavrinka ended up going to beat Djokovic in the final. And, and, and I think, Joe, we all thought that he would kick on after that Australian Open in 2008. We all thought that, you know, this guy's what? How old was he when he made it there? He was 22 years old, three months shy of turning 23. We all thought, geez, we've got another 10 years of this guy. He's going to be, or more, he's going to be unbelievable. He's going to win a slam to never make a Grand Slam final again. And you're right, Joel, the complete wrong era. And we've spoken of these guys in abundance for Berdic, Berdych, Songer, Gasquet, Monfils. Monfils still thinks he can win one, not so sure. Um, and there's so many others. Milos Ranich is another one that you could probably put into that because, and Kaneishi Corey, I think they've all just been in the wrong era where the big three and big four and and. To a lesser extent, big five of Andy, with Stan Rinker included, have just dominated the game, and yeah, it, it it's been a wonderful career, and Joe has provided us with some great moments. The iconic celebration, having on the Real Con, in the Channel Seven commentary oh, oh, box, that was the best. Um, watching Joe, <laughs> Joe, Wilfrey, Joe! <laughs> watching Joe, um, yeah, it, it didn't get much better than that when when January rolled around, so. Um, again, another congratulations to Joe Wilfried songer on a wonderful career and hopefully we can see a couple more big wins um, before it is out at the end of Roland Garros. So hopefully we get one more Joe Masterclass because that would be one of the more entertaining things that we've seen on the tennis court. But on the other side of this, Joel and I are going to discuss everything that's happening at Monte Carlo.
0: Follow Breakpoint on social media, on Twitter and Instagram, at Breakpoint Podcast. Search us on Facebook and subscribe to the show on your favourite podcast platform.
1: You are listening to Breakpoint Podcast. Val Ferbo and Joel Fritchie here with you talking all things tennis. And, well, Carlos Alcaraz is still leaving us breathless because it's just uh, what a career. What a start to his career he's had. But... He is going to be in action in Monte Carlo this week. He plays his first match, I think very soon as we record this on Wednesday night, Melbourne time. But Joel, last night, and he is playing now against Sebastian Quarter. but last night, who would have thought that Novak Djokovic would, uh, would fall victim to Alejandro Davidovic Fokina. I don't think many people saw it coming. Yes, Foki is a good player, but an clay, especially French Open quarterfinals from last year. But, Jeez, Novak has not had the start to the year that he would like. He's 1 and 2 on tour now in uh in just a couple of matches.
0: Yeah, well um yeah, well that uh, we should probably also throw in the fact that he uh got beaten by a you know, a federal government in there as well. Um but 1 um, and 3. Yeah, 1 and 3. But um yeah, no look, not the start that he wanted. I mean, I guess kind of passable because he hasn't probably played a lot of tennis, not that I'm sure not that he would be you know, making up excuses, um, he'd be he wouldn't be uh, particularly happy with um, with uh, with going down. But um, yeah, well, I mean, do we say it? He got fucked <laughs> by the fuck. Oh,
1: that's great. Um, yeah, I saw I did see a meme last year. Meet the you know the the meet the Fockers and it was meet the Davidovich Fakinas and it was his face shot <laughs> photoshopped onto every one of the characters. So there's a lot of memes that you can make with that with his name, but. Novak was broken on nine occasions. This is not something we see ever really. Nine yeah. occasions, and and Davidovich Fakina I think showed poise after Djokovic won the second set to take it to a third, and um, he, he had chances to to win it. He was up three love in the second set, the Spaniard, and just couldn't get the job done. And Novak, being typical Novak, was a fighter. He he just had the ability to claw his way back into it. But then the third set. I think Novak just ran out of legs, and uh, the shot making on show was sublime from Davidovich-Fokina, and 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 I love the way he goes about his, his tennis. He's intense. He moves fast. He's sharp. He's quick, and yeah, it was it was un, unreal to see the everything just unraveling for Novak because it just never happens.
0: Yeah, yeah, um, look. Think we can probably forgive him on, on this occasion, but yeah, look, you're you're right. Oh, agreed hundred percent. So, yeah. Um yeah, may as well take a picture because uh yeah. <laughs> I mean <laughs> seeing Novak Djokovic getting broken, um, it's like it's like pigs flying. Like you just never see it. It it hardly happens and takes a lot. But look, you've got to give credit where it's due to uh Davidovich Fulkina. Um he's I don't know. He's he's in an interesting position at the moment. Like he could probably still call him a young player, like just. Um, and he's kind of in this bracket of guys that have a lot of talent, but just hasn't really, you know, made too many uh, significant inroads yet. Um, and he, but he's probably coming up to a point in his career where he probably he probably needs to make some. Otherwise, he's I think probably just going to kind of fall by the wayside and, and just become one of those players that um, you know kind of just sort of makes up the numbers, so to speak at uh, a lot of events where, um, you know, he's one of those dangerous floaters. You kind of don't want to, you don't want to come across him, but at the same time, you know that, you know, if you're, if you're on, you probably get the better of him. So um, yeah, look, it was, it was, uh, yeah, it was good to see him pull this one out. Um, and uh yeah, well, a, a real interesting one next up for him as well, either David Goffin or, or Dan Evans, so that should be interesting. Well,
1: Goffin won his uh, just his second title in the last five years last week in Marrakesh, so yeah. he's in very good form himself. But if you look at the stats from previous meetings, Djokovic and David Fakina have only met twice on tour, both last year, and Djokovic won three and one and two and one, dropped seven games in those two matches. He dropped six games in one solitary set and dropped 18 overall. So he pretty, he almost tripled his career tally against Novak Djokovic um, in one match there, davidovich Fakina. So brilliant showing from him. And if you look at the rest of the draw, uh, Carlos Alcaraz, as I said, playing as we speak, um, Grigor Dimitrov getting himself through to the third round. I think it's something that it's a place where he needs to have a good result, but, Kaspar Ruud as well is, is one of the front runners for this tournament. He's a bit, He loves playing on clay. Um, he's honed his skills on clay as well, and he, he, that's where he's performed his best on tour. Um, and then you got Alcaraz, as I said, Chilich in this draw, Hubert Hercash in this draw as well. But Holger Roon, who we had on the show a couple of weeks ago, won a challenger in San Remo, Italy, drove to Monte Carlo the next uh, that day, so about an hour in the car, Won his first-round qualifying match. The next day, wins his second-round qualifying match, qualifies for Monte Carlo. Then he defeats Aslan Karatsev to go through to the second round, and he'll take on Ruud. So that must be the breakpoint effect, I reckon, with Holger. So, um, yeah, if he ever wants to to jump back on, he's more than welcome, and maybe the results might keep coming. But um, Stan Wawrinka making his return to, um, to tennis took on Alexander Bublik, lost that 3-6, 7-5, 6-2. So good seeing Stan back on tour, isn't it?
0: Yeah, it is. And just that delicious backhand. Ooh. Oh sumptuous. Can't get enough of that.
1: It's absolutely oh, it's just it's beautiful. And public after the match had some interesting comments and he was doing his post match interview, Joel. I'm not sure if you saw this, but he goes, I hate clay. That's just my statement. I'm saying that right now. I hate this surface. I hate it. Um huh. didn't look like he hated it because the feel and everything was was there against um against Vavrinka, but um, he finds himself in a pretty tough part of the draw. He's got Corinna Busta next. Alexander Zverev at the bottom of the draw. Stefan Tsitsipas, last year's champion, defeating 2019 champion Fabio Fognini. Uh, Six thirty-six. Love that one. And Fabio looked well. It was kind of on brand for Fabio. It just looked disinterested. But he was wearing bright yellow. You couldn't miss him. And the 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 the, the, the mentality and the emotions didn't match the flair of the outfit, which was, which was bizarre. He didn't even give Steph eye contact after, after he won. So, um, I'm not sure what was going on there. It was bizarre, but I I guess we don't really expect much different from Fabio. Do we?
0: No, it's pretty much on brand. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I think so. Um, and then you look at Cam Norrie. He's in the draw as well. Big win for Lorenzo Musetti over Benoit Paire. Our man, Benoit, couldn't get mm. the job done. 6 7-6, 6-2. Félix Auger-Aliassime is in the draw as well. He's seeded sixth. So I think we've got a, a few good players that we're going to have a look at here. Taylor Fritz, the Indian Welsh champion. He's back. He's going to be playing. Uh, he's had a tough win first up against Lucas Katerina of Monaco, the Monegasque player. Um, he won that in three. He'll play Marin Cilic next. Cilic beats Songa uh, in the first round. So I think we've got a lot to look forward to in terms of the pedigree of plays. It's very even out there. Daniel Medvedev out for a few more weeks um, with uh, with his hernia. So hopefully Daniel can come back fit and firing for the grass season. I don't think he's going to be playing on the clay at all. Um, and, yeah, it's I have no idea who is going to win it, but my mind just it immediately goes to Alcaraz, Joel.
0: Yeah, well, look, I mean, honestly, it, like you look at the field, the remaining field, and um, it's it's probably more than a hopeful guess at this point. Like, um, you know, in the, the form that he's in, you know, on clay, um, you know, just scanning through the draw, there's a couple of names that stand out. But, you know, at the moment, he's – he in that top part of the draw, he's he's probably the guy. Yeah. Um, uh, and then looking at the bottom half, I'm sorta of thinking maybe Stefan or Sitsipas, but it's it's really I don't know, it's it's really hard to tell. Like maybe Yannick Sinner potentially. There's a couple there that um you know you could you could probably throw into the mix. But um yeah, I, I guess this is probably the beauty of clay, isn't it? Like um yep. you know, when you when you sort of when you delve beneath Nadal, really, um, you know, you kind of just don't really know because it is such an unpredictable surface and 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 really like um, yeah, as we we heard from Alexander Bublik and uh, you know a few other people uh, down the journey, that's uh, not not everyone likes clay, and um, the ones that don't like it tend to be quite vocal about it. So yep. you just don't know with clay.
1: Yeah, well Medvedev as well. I don't want to play on this stupid surface, and just smacking his racket into the red dirt. Um, and then you've got Alex Dimonor. He'll take on Andre Rublev as well. But yeah, that bottom that bottom part of the draw. I think I'm looking at. I'm looking at Steph, I think, to be that player that that goes on and makes the final. He's a defending champ. Clay's probably the surface where he's had a lot more of his success, I think. But then again, he's had he's had a lot of success on hard at multiple Grand Slam semi-finals on a hard court. I think three at the Australian Open alone. Um, not to yeah. mention his ATP finals crown. But I think he's he's won a Masters 1000 on clay at Monte Carlo. He's made a French Open final, should have won the French Open last year. That that final will go down as one of the bigger chokes of all time. Um, and, yeah, I, I think he'll be the player that makes the final, but I don't think anybody's getting over the top of Carlos Alcaraz. And before we do get to our Benoit of the week, one thing I want to ask you is about the ATP and discipline. Now, Nick Kyrgios was fined an inordinate, uh, inordinate amount of money uh, for his antics at Indian Wells and Miami where he's thrown a racket, it's hit, it's collected somebody, um, hit a ball, also collected somebody. The way he spoke to the umpire in Miami was quite disgraceful, Carlos Bernades. Um, I didn't like it at all. And all of a sudden, there's no sanction. There's just monetary sanction, which is nothing compared to what they earn from these tournaments. And then the biggest slap in the face, I think, to fans and, and officials was the fact that Alexander Zverev and Marcelo Melo were given a wild card into Monte Carlo after what happened in Acapulco and that disgraceful display from Alexander Zverev. And the fact that he still hasn't been suspended is, is honestly, it's beyond me. It is beyond me.
0: Um, yeah. Well, I don't think it's news to anyone that uh, the ATP is, uh, well, weak is the proverbial when it comes to uh, dishing out uh, punishments. Um, mm. And look, I think that's a, a real focus area for them. Um, and look, one area where we've really got to give the WTA some some kudos, whether uh, you know whether it's um, you know stuff relating to things that happens on court or you know more important matters that go on off court. Um, we've seen the WTA take a you know a really meaningful stand on some of those things. Um, but you know, when you look at the ATP, you, you kind of look at it and think to yourself it's not just not sufficient. Um, I think that look, that's it Val, I think, um, look, the case of Nick curios is a really interesting one because, um, you know, I think it's got to a point where you look at it and you almost have to ask yourself, like what more can actually be done with Nick? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, I, I don't think no matter what he gets fined, um, you know, yeah. a, a reasonable fine, um, you know, I, I, I'm starting to wonder what exactly can stop, the worst of Nick's behavior. Um I'm I'm almost thinking that no matter what deterrent they throw out there nothing's going to change it.
1: So you don't think any sort of suspension would deter him because it's it's no, getting to it's getting to a point Joel where it's ridiculous. And for yeah, all no, the I ent- don't
0: I don't I don't think it would because we've we've heard Nick that many times say that he, he doesn't really enjoy playing and yeah. all all that sort of all that sort of rhetoric. I don't think it would make a, a an inkling of difference.
1: Yeah. But the thing is he thinks that he's amazing and that he's God's gift to tennis, and this is the problem. Because yes, yeah, you may be entertaining on court, but uh, I just—it's unwatchable. It is unwatchable. I can—I struggle watching the matches as a tennis purist and as a tennis fan and someone who adores the sport and covers the sport. I struggle watching it because. He makes it into a zoo. He treats people with disrespect. And then he thinks that just a quick apology might, you know, would be, would go the longest way. But he's a repeat offender and it's never going to change. And he's proud of that. It's never going to change. And the fans, and he talks about that, you know, we need to bring more fans to tennis. The fans that he brings in are the ones that we don't want at tennis matches because it's not respectful and I struggle every time he goes on the court. He's so good to watch and he is good for tennis in a way that he does put bums in seats. But there's a fine line and he he's crossed it many many times and it just it, it something needs to give. Something has to give and a fine is not enough. Suspension yeah. is suspension's the only way to go. Suspension is yeah. the only way to go.
0: Yeah, the, the, the thing is, though, it's like, what exactly is something? Um, and yeah, look, we, we know that we know that Nick, um, you know, kind of uh, plays by his own rules in a sense. Not saying that's right, but um, you know, it's one of those ones, Val. It's just uh, it's something that I can't really see changing, no matter what the powers that that be do. Um, and yeah, you've I don't know, like there's there's. So many different uh, cans of worms we could open from that that one statement. But it's, um, yeah, I I don't know. It's it's just an eternal problem, which, again, we've said it many times. It's a shame because uh, this is a guy that could be anything.
1: Yep. Well, exactly right. It's so, yeah, it is. It's disappointing. It really is because we know what he can produce. And the form that he's been in. He was unreal in Indian Wells and Miami. He's backed it up. He's not even playing the clay court season, Joel. And he's made the semifinals in Houston, where he's fallen to eventual champion Riley Apelka. Um, like the got guy, the guys in abundance. Of, he's just walking tennis talent. Doesn't even need to try, and he's and he's got his talent. So, look, he's great for tennis, but he's also not great for tennis at the same time. But I guess that's the enigma that is Nick Kyrgios. And good on him if he wants to keep acting like that. Then you know who are we to? We can't tell him what to do so if he wants to keep doing that that's his prerogative but yeah it's we, we can only call it as we see it I guess but moving on Benoit of the week time Joel it's our favorite segment and we we do I think you're it's your it's your turn this week and you've come yeah. in off the long run who have uh, who have you got for us
0: yeah well talking of people that need to be punished and punished harshly um, I will not say much but I will put his name out there and uh, listeners can uh, do as they please with said name. And that name is Vladimir Putin.
1: Yeah, I think that's all we really need to say on that. I think it's a very earned Benoit of the week and just not a good one. Probably the worst Benoit we could ever give.
0: absolutely not a good one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Worst Benoit I reckon we could ever give. Um, Yeah, I reckon on that, uh, on that or somber note, I guess, Um, we can can end the show. (laughs) Um, But no, it has been an absolute pleasure. We'll do it all again next week, Joel, you and I, and uh, we'll review Monte Carlo, where Carlos Alcaraz might have even made more of a name for himself, which seems like it would be almost impossible to do. But he's thereabouts, and we know what he can do on a tennis court, and we're going to love watching him for the next 15 years, hopefully. Joel Frucci, thank you very much.
0: No worries, Val. See you next week, mate.
1: It's been an absolute pleasure, Val Ferbo and Joel Frucci on Breakpoint Podcast, talking you through all things tennis. Remember, you can subscribe on Wooshka. Oh, sorry, not on Wushka on uh, on uh, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcast from. We are on there. We used to be on Wushka. We're on Anchor now. That's our new platform that we absolutely adore. And also, you can follow us on social media: Instagram at Breakpoint Podcast, Twitter at Breakpoint Pod, Facebook Breakpoint Podcast. Give us a follow, give us a subscribe, listen in, send us in your comments, whatever you like. We're here to uh, we're here to listen. If anybody has any questions just shout out. This is Breakpoint. Val Ferbo and Joel Frucci. We'll catch you next week.